Stuart, I don't want to say my dude because you seem to have an issue with that, but that's not what's important here. What's important, most important, uh, this podcast was extremely challenging for me in a very good way because we talked through being a husband and a father and how critical those roles are in our families' lives and the expectations that we're setting, what they will expect from life and the example that that of who we are and how we conduct ourselves and, and the intentionality in our homes is so hugely impactful. And I loved, loved Adam Griffin and just this interview and all just the, the, not only the knowledge bombs and the nuggets, but the actions that you can take to be the dad that you want to be, to be the hero of your journey in your household, to be the leader and to make a difference. Yeah, man. He, uh, he says it's, the critically important and mostly ordinary work of leading the home. It's the most important job that we can do. Uh, he's taking it serious um, and uh, he is discipling his family well, and he's challenging us to do the same. So go listen and uh, we will, you will be better for it after listening to this uh, conversation. Go. You're listening to Filling the Storehouse Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Stuart. And we want to walk with you on the journey to living the abundant life through faith, family, and freedom. Our goal is to refine our why while helping you find yours. Together, achieve our best and highest purpose. In the end, we'll drive each other to intentionally fill our storehouse. All right. So, so uh, Stu, uh, yeah. hey, I'm going to interrupt you oh, on, okay. on purpose. And I knew right. because normally... yeah. Normally, Stu introduces our guests and he starts with the show and it's beautiful. But today, uh, Adam, I just feel a connection with Adam. <laughs> I feel, you know, he's a man of God, loves Jesus, which obviously Stu does too. But, but you know, God blessed Adam and I uniquely mm. and uh, he, he made us bald. And I <laughs> truly believe in all sincerity, I truly believe that God created just a, a certain number of folks to be bald so that there's zero separation between us and him. Like Stu has all that flowing hair and there's, oh, you know, stuff to right. get through right. stuff to get through for oh, us. Man. It is just, it is direct. It is a direct line. <laughs> Dude, the, your office light is really shining down hard on it today. You got a, a nice glow hey. going. Did you shave <laughs> this morning? Intentionally, man. No, I'm yeah. kind of a hippie. It's been two days, oh. uh, which is, this is getting a little long for me, but no, oh. it's just, it's, it's again, it's just the, it's the manifestation of blessing, blessing, Amen. right? It's it's the visual depiction of, of the light shining down <laughs> and reflecting back. <laughs> That's great. Uh, well, uh, Adam, this is normally how we start podcasts, uh, but uh, hey, we're glad you, you came. It's going to be a fun conversation. Uh, this is Filling the Storehouse podcast. And uh, for our listeners, if you would just give us a little background, give us a little bit of story about who you are and and, sure. and what you do. Well, the short version is that I'm a, I'm a father and a husband and a pastor. Um, I get to write a little bit and speak a little bit, but uh, I am married to Chelsea. We've been married for 12 years. We have three boys, Oscar, Gus, and Theodore. Uh, Theodore is named after Theodore Roosevelt. Stu, you have a, a sign on the wall behind you representing uh, my son's namesake. Or as my son would say, Theodore Roosevelt was named after my son. I like it. Uh, but those are my three boys. And we uh, planted a church about four years ago here on the east side of Dallas. It's called Eastside Community Church. I love that church. And it is, man, the Lord's been blessing us. Uh, just, man, blowing the roof off. It's been awesome. Uh, a few years ago, I got to write a book for Crossway called Family Discipleship. That led to a podcast with an organization called Training the Church. 
And so we talk a lot about uh, leading our home spiritually. And I'll have a few more resources coming out over the next couple of years. I just love writing for building resources for families. That's kind of one of my my passions. I have a lot of passions. My wife would say I have way too many ideas and uh, work on them way too often. But as a bald man, I get to save so much time from having to comb or style my hair. And I saved so much money on not needing to buy shampoo over the last 20 years that really I have it, I have it ready to invest. So, I mean, I've got a lot going on, uh, mostly due to my baldness. You know, I've always, I've always wondered about that. I've, I've wondered if bald men actually wash their hairs. They, do they not wash, wash they their head? They don't have hairs, dude. Like how can I know, you but wash like, their hair? You still got like it's skin up there. your face, dude. It's just an extension. <laughs> it's no, what we do, we, I wash we my face. Soap. We take soap and we actually, in the shower, we just stop where our hairline used to be and just never touch the top. <laughs> never touch like, the top. That's what we do. No, no, I we, use don't, a, we don't just I, I naturally use a, soap. I use a toothbrush with some shampoo on it for my eyebrows. That's about it. You <laughs> there know? you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and I will, at, for, uh, you know, at risk of disagreeing with our guests this early in the podcast, oh, I will tell you, Adam, I find it more difficult if, if okay. If you want the clean, bald look always, it's more difficult. Like the dudes with hair can just get up and, you know, yeah. Stu does this, this little head motion and, and the hair flows back and he puts a hat, hat on. But like for I me, on. like I, I like the clean, bald look, man. I like it to be skin. Yeah. And so I find that to be pretty, uh, it's pretty time intensive. Yeah, that's probably true. There's a little bit more to it, but you do save the money uh, on haircuts. True. You do have to spend the money on razors, though. You know, you got to, yeah. You know, it's a little bit of one, a little bit of the other, but I, I can throw a hat on. I can walk out the door with bedhead. I can, yeah, I can be ready. True. I can grow a mullet in a day because it's always longer in the back than it is in the front, you know? <laughs> that's good. That's good. Podcast is going to be all about baldness. So that's what hey, we're going to do. We need to give a lot bald, of our audience mate. bald tips. Let's do it. Let's give it. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> hey, um, Adam, I, you, I, I'm curious what. So as as you're talking, there's a there's a strong focus on family, right? You're a pastor, and there's so many ways as a pastor. There's so many things you could focus on, right? We've had a number of different um, folks on on our podcast that, you know, we recently had someone who went into the ministry and they were completely focused on on helping uh, people overcome addiction and porn, right? Like very right. specific. You know, you ve seem very specifically engaged with with uh the family and I, i'm curious from our perspective it's a little different we had been focusing on businesses and building businesses and masterminds about businesses and then we really got into this focus with the mastermind probably about um i'd say we started a year ago but we really really got focused this summer when we got out of the military on helping men become better husbands and fathers but right. that took us a, a while and i'm just curious how long did it really take you to refine that focus and and why is that the focus that's a good question uh, I have had a lot of kind of hobby horse passions over the years. You know, I did my my doctoral work was on racial reconciliation in the city of Dallas. And so I have a lot of passion about uh, kind of the racialized culture we're in. I've done a lot of work around sanctity of life, on human dignity from somebody in the womb to somebody who's passing away. But all of those have come back to this. Uh, it's it, To me, it's all about discipleship. And when I was a younger single man, I was doing a lot of pouring into teenage boys, uh, many of them fatherless. And so I was doing that kind of work, but I'd always wanted to be a dad. So I got married at 30, uh, was a dad by, I think by 31, we had our first kid that next year. And uh, so we have, um, what, what happened is the passions that I had 
uh, came to bear fruit. All these things about human dignity and about building people up and about discipleship all came home to roost for me because what we had is uh, humans in our own home that we were going to be discipling all the time. And so that combined with my job where I had been in student ministry, I had been a public school teacher, I had done a lot of discipleship of younger men, and now I got to do it as a father and as a husband. It just all that philosophy of going and making disciples everywhere, going and making disciples of all people, really came into like a, a sharp focus around the actual human beings that I would make lunch for and breakfast for and change their diapers for, and then what that looked like in our home. Now, I had advised a lot of parents. I had spent a lot of time with a lot of teenagers, but they had never been my own. And so it was really my heart for student ministry that led to my heart for being a dad because I had spent so much time pouring into the lives of young people. And so much of what we did in student ministry was uh, a version of fatherhood uh, that was not exactly what God's plan was for the family, but had to be done because the family, uh, so many families lacked kind of godly mentoring, uh, godly discipleship. And so that's why student ministry exists in the first place, both for the lack of it and to come alongside the healthy versions of it. So it really came out of just the the history that God gave me was pouring into teenagers, being a, a teacher, seeing a, a true lack of, of parenthood happening inside schools and for our kids in public schools. It was, it was really rough. And so uh, that led to that, but really uh, it was also professionally. I had a job as a student ministry, then I was a next gen minister, which meant I oversaw all the family ministries at our church that led to developing kind of a framework for how parents could disciple. And that led to uh, leading a church and thinking about this from the perspective of family minister leading a church. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, Stu it, and uh, David, it's because I uh, love being a dad. It's what I've always wanted to do. And so since I've always wanted to do it, I, I spend a lot of my passion and my energy on doing it well. I really want to hear at the end of my life, well done, good and faithful servant. And I believe when I read the Bible, one of my number one calls is to be a dad and to be a father that the kids have been given. So while I share a lot of stories of my family, I don't share all of them to respect the kids I've got. But that is my primary ministry as far as my passion goes, as far as my energy goes. And I love doing podcasts. I love speaking. I love writing. But it, it has to all start with my quality as a household manager, as a household leader. And so to me, that's where the passion comes from. It's just what the Lord called me to and the way he equipped me for it. That's awesome, dude. I, I love that. And one of the things that just, you know, before your questions do, um, I've always believed, and I, I heard it a long time ago, but the the way that you, one of the ways that you understand what your, your purpose, what you were built for is doing things in the church, right? And so you were doing these things, which led to clarity, um, and, and for me, it looked like, you know, from a young, as a young man, I volunteered with children ministry and I started, I had no idea who my passion was. So I started at the, at the tiniest guys and I was, you know, I was, the church was kind of like, dude, you're like 22 years old and you want to like work with these babies, you're a single guy. I'm like, yeah, man, I just, I'm trying to figure out where I belong. That's great. I quickly discovered those are, you know, those are fun kids. Uh, middle school is not what God blessed, gifted, put a desire in my heart for, because those those kids are are terrible human beings. And then <laughs> as you, but then I I really realized my where I really enjoyed at that time was the older high school kids in college ministry. And then that has now translated into you know for Stu and I, um, you know, this more you know men 
and dads and husbands, yeah. but it's so clear. But I think that clarity came through action. And, and I really appreciate you, you know, going down these paths, but all those paths really seem to add clarity to what your ultimate mission and, and vision totally. and purpose were. Well, they're all related, you know, uh, discipling anywhere prepares you for discipling anywhere, right? So if you've been discipled, it prepares you to disciple somebody else. If you discipled a, a preschooler, it, it is part of the way the Lord sharpens you maybe to, to disciple a father and to be discipled as a father. So I see, if I look back on the path of my life, there are a lot of things I resisted along the way. There are other things that I wanted to do, but struggled with a lack of ambition. And the Lord just gave me opportunities for, I think, when you talk about business, David, and you talk about leading a business, a lot of times people will assume that I'm very entrepreneurial because I planted a church and wrote a book. And typically people that do those things are like go-getter, I've got something to share, and I'm much more the opposite. I've much more just tried to be faithful in what I'm doing. And then what we've seen instead is that the Lord um, uh, kind of asked me to do them. Like uh, somebody had to kind of pull me into planting a church. Somebody, a publisher had to say, hey, we want uh, to have this book written. You should write it. And while it's stuff that I wanted to do and delight in doing, it is not stuff that I woke up uh, every day going, I got to make this dream happen. And so I'm not the like um, poster boy for going and getting, but I I feel like the Lord's uh, in the parable of the talents where I really feel like the Lord drew the picture of me is that guy with one talent. So I'm not the most talented. I don't have the most. And uh, the Lord... It has constantly had to call me out. I'm like, I'm just burying it. I'm not doing everything I can. I'm giving up too soon. I'm not pursuing things. And the the go-getters are typically the guys who go, look what the Lord gave me. I'm going to try to do even more. I'm just, I'm blessed to have a God that's been very patient with me and called me into some things. But leading my family and leading this church has all come from, I've, I've been afraid to do it. I've been insecure about it. Uh, but the Lord graciously didn't just let me sit in that. And he called me into doing something. Not only uh, are you alike in your baldness, but you're also alike in in not having many talents. Dave, David has like zero talents. <laughs> so um, hey, this is you awesome. got a lot in common. You, Steve, common. you said that David's going to be taking shots at you. That's a that well, is I'm a just, shot. I'm just I'm just trying to get right back, there. man. I'm just trying to get hey, back. Yeah. He likes he likes to play that victim card. He takes plenty plenty <laughs> shots. <laughs> Adam, you uh, you recently had uh, well, you had John Tyson on your on your podcast. Yeah, he well, was back awesome. In, yeah. Awesome, awesome episode. And and Joel, my brother-in-law, who is our kind of mutual connection, he uh he sent that to me um as a as my birthday present and just devoured the book, loved it. Um, my son is five, so we're not quite at that stage yet of getting into that cycle that that John talks about in his book. But um one thing I noticed in his book, he talks about roles that men play, roles that fathers play. And the number one role that he talks about is the disciple. And, and I'm curious from your perspective of, of being a dad of three boys, um, being in youth ministry and, and seeing all these boys that don't have dads, right. That don't know the Lord because there is no discipleship beyond just, you know, kind of what, what you've done. How does that impact boys turning into men, uh, later yeah. on down the road? Well, you know, I'm a, I'm also a pastor of a pretty young church, and that means, like most pretty young churches, we have in the singles ministry, singles area, the majority of them are women. Majority of the attenders of our church who are single are women. Majority of our membership who are single are women. That's interesting. And uh, that's that ratio bears true across the country, as far as I've ever heard. You rarely will find a church that says, "Oh, we have all these single men, and where are all the single women at?" You just don't see that. You see the opposite all the time. 
And it's part of the reason the Lord gave me three boys. I believe this wholeheartedly. Every time we were pregnant, I prayed and I asked God for a son. And every time the Lord granted us a son. And I'm really grateful for that. But the reason we prayed for them is not because we don't like women, not because I was afraid of being a, a father of little girls. It's because, Stu and David, when we look at our culture, we see a real lack of men who are godly, leading well. And so we said, what's the best way we could do it? Let's raise some. What if the Lord were gracious enough to let us raise some godly young men? And while I cannot say like the quality of my children is the evidence of that, like these are still, these boys get to live their own story, but that's what we're efforting for. That's what we're pursuing. And what we do see is a lack of discipleship in our culture and a lack of, uh, um, a lack of maturity in men and a lowered expectation. We see addictions to pornography. We see addictions to substances, but we also see uh, a, not only a culture that allows those things and even celebrates some of them. We see a culture where men are uh, living out their, their biggest dreams in video games and fantasy football, things that involve not actually doing anything uh, except for sitting around and basically being sarcastic with your buddies. And we glorify those things. Uh, my wife and I went to a, uh, we were at a pub a couple months back on a Saturday night, just getting something to eat. And it was loaded with single guys, all basically trying to get the attention of one female bartender. And then there's me and my wife sitting there. And we're like, man, this is such the opposite of our church. Like it, you go into this pub in our neighborhood and you go, here's all the single guys. You go into our church and you go, oh, here's all the single women. And there's some disconnect there. I'm not saying that like women have everything nailed down. I mean, there's a lot of work to do in the, for the women in our culture, but we see a lack of it with our men. So one of the things we actually did in our church is we said, man, if that's where we see the lack, then let's then let's do something. Let's pray for something different. So God not only gave my family all boys, but over two-thirds of the kids in our kids' ministry are boys. If you came to a kids' ministry event at Eastside, it is over 66% boy. And I don't believe that's by accident. I think the Lord is answering our prayers to say, let's raise some godly young men. And then one of the other things we said is, man, if there's a lack of discipleship for men, similar to what John Tyson's talking about in his book, then let's disciple. So what I started doing is just telling single men in our church, if any one of you wants to be discipled, especially if you have never been discipled, you're welcome to come to my house once a month and we'll pick a Tuesday. You just come and those those men come to my house. Uh, we have a, a group of single men who come. They, you know, It's not mandatory. They don't sign up. They just show up. They can bring friends if they want. And they watch me disciple my boys. So the first thing we do is it's bedtime. We read the Bible, we pray, and then we sing, which is great for my kids to be able to see uh, single men singing and reading the Bible together. Then my boys go to bed, and then we just spend talking about, I, I start the conversation with what do, what do single men in our culture need to be talking about? And then we talk about where we're weak. We talk about where we've seen strength. And then we talk about what does the word of God have to say about it? And then we all send them home. And uh, we do that not because we think that's like the best version. It's not the programmatic answer. Just because, Stu, we're just trying to say, if God, if men are not being discipled, let's disciple them. Because one of the problems we've also seen is in the churches I've been in, in the past, a lot of times we would rag on men. We would insult men. We would say, where are all the men? And we wouldn't think about how do we cultivate the men that are here? So just because men make up a smaller percentage of our church does not mean what we need to do is insult the men who are showing up by saying, where are all the good men? We go, yeah, praise God for the good men God's brought here. Let's invest in them. Let's build them up. My my wife and I joke, we call it like a, the, the Eastside Boyfriend Academy, that we're raising up good men uh, to be good boyfriends, to be prepared to marry all these wonderful single women who are living together with long-term plans of trying to figure out how they're going to get cared for when they've never been asked on a date, never never getting married. And 
And man, it's that's hard for them to see that future because of a lack of godliness in this generation of men. But I really believe the solution is discipleship. Uh, is seeing if there are good godly men, they need to not just be discipling one young man. We need to be looking around and going as many as we can. Let's invite them in our homes. Let's let them see how we father. Let's uh, invite them into uh, the church and serving. Uh, I love that David said he served with the kids as a twenty-something man. If we could, if we could have more men saying, "Hey, it's not weird. It's good." As long as there's not something weird. I mean, if there is something weird, you shouldn't be serving with those kids. Let's yeah. be honest. I mean, let's protect kids as well. But uh, let's see uh, godliness be the expectation. Elder ca- elder qualities be the expectation of a teenage boy. That's what I want. Is not hey, uh, that integrity is reserved for the old, yeah. uh, which is kind of the mindset that our culture has, is that when you're young, you're young and free. You're not. You're young and expected to walk in integrity. Freedom should come from the sin that you have committed and the shame and guilt of it. Let's Let's see freedom from that. Let's cast off the sin that so easily entangles and run the race uh, marked out for us, looking to Jesus. That's what I want for a 10-year-old, not just for a 50-year-old. Adam, what do you what do you think the core core reason is behind this lack of discipleship in men, this this uh generation of men that that have no purpose, that are just playing video games that are addicted to pornography. Like what's, what's the root cause of it all? Do you think? Well, if you really wanted a root cause, I think it is sin. And I think it's the schemes of the enemy, right? Yeah. So if we said the schemes of the enemy uh, would attack the family, it sure works well. If the schemes of the enemy, if if sin wanted to attack the propensity of men to pursue lust and greed over integrity. Yeah, I can see that, that, that happens. So sin at the end of the day is the issue. I think culturally though, we also have an expectation issue on, on young people and on men where we can perpetuate adolescence into the 30s and 40s instead of expect hard work and gratitude from a young man. Uh, we we kind of, you know, just kind of shrug our shoulders and say, of course, he still lives at home. Of course, he still plays video games. Of course, he's addicted to pornography. And a lot of it is rooted in the sense of what is common must be okay. And so since men would look around and go, oh, pornography is common, then it must be okay. Because they'll say like, well, basically everybody's doing that. And you go, well, since it doesn't take much work to make a lot of money for some men because of the skills and opportunities they have, well, then it must be okay to do very little. And since video games are very enticing and social media is very enticing, and there's there's also a uh, you know a typical woman's version of this in our culture as well that would be absorbed in kind of the the coveting nature of what they have or the competitive nature of what they have. You know, there's there's a sense in which we haven't challenged men and, and created a high expectation. In fact, if you want to uh, philosophize, you've got that uh, Stu has behind him. We joked a couple times already about the man in the arena speech that talks about it's not the critic who counts. It's the man who's actually doing things. That is not the, the semblance that our culture has. It's in our culture. It's the critic who counts, the one who can look into things and say, here's what's wrong. And we all want to disagree and be the loudest. And, and that creates a culture in which nobody's actually striving and trying or or daring greatly, as the speech would would call it, um, in Theodore Roosevelt's most quintessentially philosophical speech called The Strenuous Life, he actually says in the opening paragraph of that speech, who would want a life of ease for their sons? And what's ironic is at his time, which is, you know, early 1900s, he's saying who would teach their kid that the life they want is a life of ease? Well, now, 120 years later, that's what everybody's teaching their kids. That's kid. what everybody's up with. Yeah. Yes. Who wouldn't want the life of ease is the way we'd say it now. Who wouldn't want a life where you don't have to try that hard? Who wouldn't want a life where you don't have to do that much and you get a lot? But what Theodore Roosevelt was calling out philosophically is what we should be training boys to do is if you're going to hit, you hit hard. And instead we say, if somebody's going to hit you, you run away. 
And if, if you can find a way to do as little as possible and get as much as possible, that's the goal in life. And if we could create an environment where what's really beautiful is vacation and leisure and what is expected is to find a job that is like a soul fulfilling job because you don't have to do that much. And uh, man, I just think we've created an environment where, where men are not thriving. We also, um, I know I'm talking way too much, but the education system we have created uh, is, I don't know if you guys have read Boy to, Boys Adrift by Leonard Sachs, but I think there's a, there's a real sense in our education system that it caters towards uh, a, a, femin, a classic feminine success level. Uh, so where boys thrive in breaks for activity and in doing and achieving, our education system is built around teachers having a carefree day of you sit still, you be quiet, you read this, you achieve that. And we kind of, you know, take the wind out of the sails of boys at a young age, even through the education system that we've set up. Now, those are broad generalizations. And there's a lot of people doing something totally different. And there's a lot of ways in which our education system helps men achieve and thrive. And there's a lot of ways, a lot of families out there who are teaching and are um, that leisure is not an uh, an option for a lot of families as well. But when we have uh, most kids these days are born to um, unmarried parents or single moms, it's no surprise that there aren't a lot of men growing up as men because they don't have a lot of men examples in the home. And uh, my wife who works labor and delivery can tell you that uh, if there is a man in the labor and delivery room who is eager to meet their child and be part of raising that kid, that is an endangered species. That is not the norm. That is wow. the rarity. Wow. Uh, now she is in a city and I think the St. she, but she's worked in the suburbs. She's not, she's worked a little bit in rural hospitals as well. And she would say that bears true. There's not this overwhelming amount of men who are eager to meet their baby and raise them. That is uh, it is rare. Endangered species is probably the right word. It's rare and getting rarer. And I think that is also part of the issue. We just don't have a lot of people who love fatherhood. You guys are, are more rare than you realize you are. That is, uh, extremely disappointing, discouraging and, uh, and, and kind of shocking, but, but I will say, but also, also extremely, extremely motivating. That's what I was going to get to is that you know, when Stu and I were looking around at the things that were missing in our lives and, and we were pretty intentional dads, right. But, but we were not exceptionally intentional dads and we were not exceptionally intentional husbands. And when we, when we started looking at our network of entrepreneurs and senior military officers and these different groups that were just naturally, we were a part of, we were seeing a gap in that level of intentionality, the level of intentionality of these high-performing men who were pursuing other things with great intention and passion, but they weren't pursuing the things necessarily. And even to an extent, we were not pursuing the things with the same rigor and the same just passion uh, within the household. And then once you do that, recognizing that's where the, that's where the gifts are, right? That's where, you know, like even yesterday, you know, I was bouncing with my kids on a trampoline and, and some, you know, we, I knew someone was wrong with my boy. He didn't want to share, but we we're bouncing and just jumping and for a long time. And I'm just, you know, we're tackling and we're fighting. My daughter's getting in it too. And then I, you know, I'm like, Hey, I take these breaks. Cause I, I'm exhausted, but I take these breaks and we all snuggle and we look up at the sky. And in that, that moment, I looked over to my boy and I was like, Hey dude, what's going on at school? Like, why are you so, 
what has caused this? What made you so upset all day? Mm. And what was interesting, my boys fight like cats and dogs. They just fight, fight, fight. But Jake started telling me, the middle one started telling me about essentially being bullied. And this kid, mm. he doesn't recognize how big and strong he is. It's it's a little bit ridiculous. He's so sensitive. Mm. And he, he, you know, we start talking through it. And I start, my brain starts going, how do I teach him? Uh, the way I grew up, my dad's like, you punch him in the face. Like, that's what you do. Right. And, and and so I'm, I'm fighting that, right? right? But I'm also trying to empower him. Hey, dude, if someone touches you, it's a different level. And so we start talking through it. And then his little brother's like, who's this kid messing with my brother? Like, and they start bonding on that. Right. Mm. And and so, but it's just a level of intentionality. And, right. and, and I was thinking through that moment, but also if there was another, a younger person, a younger man to witness those kind of conversations, it would be awesome. And, and one of the things I love about what you said, discipleship, we don't have to have the agenda and all the answers. We just need to be open to hanging out. And it has to be a little more than, Hey, just come over and we'll just, you know, talk about sports, but just being open to bringing people in and hanging out and then discipling each other through natural conversations at a higher level, because the agenda and the expectation has been set that these are the kind of conversations we're going to have. And that's what Stu and I took that and and created a mastermind around that for men, because there's such a huge gap and we need to start addressing it. But I did not realize it was that, that, that extreme. I didn't realize so many dudes were we're essentially giving up their right to be amazing fathers and husbands and involved. And that's, totally. uh, you know, that, that, that's motivating as Stu said, that really motivates that puts new fire, you know, my soul and, and wind in my sails to be like, well, the work we're doing is important. Right. And we just got to lean into that. And I also, well, I'm going to disagree with you. Dude, you don't have one talent. So get rid of that junk. You got tons <laughs> of talents. That's just a self deprecating, uh, a lie yeah. you're telling yourself. And hey, single fellas, yeah. church. You want to meet some girls? Go to church. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Yeah, Put I love Tinder the word you business. Their, go to church, David. The word you use there, work. I think um, men tend to find their identity in work, right? That we find whether or not we feel like we are good enough or successful enough, or who are we compared to others in work. Uh, what um, if we could change the mindset for dads? to help them recognize that when they get home from quote unquote work, it is not the time to punch out and say there I'm done. And we have this kind of man cave mentality that says, when I get home, that's my chance to sit in a recliner and not be bothered because my life is so hard. So I will drink a beer and watch sports. And while I'm all for it, like taking a break, I'm not, I'm not against rest. If we could instead help people understand, no, the work, the actual job you are called to is leading that home. So when you get home, that's when you're punching in. You're saying, hey, I did all this at the office so that I can support this job that I have at home. And if we could help men just grasp, that's where your best creativity and intentionality and time should be spent. We could spend all day working, you know, the spreadsheet job, like just doing the spreadsheets, man, or spend all day in the corporate meeting or in the coffee shop having meetings with clients or in the office having meetings with patients or whatever it is and say, man, that's, that's where we put our best energy. Guys, the, the call of scripture is that your energy needs to be given to the, the woman you're married to and the kids the Lord has given you in a way that is a job. And if you would spend 10 minutes a day just thinking about how can I care for this family and lead this family well in the same level of creativity you're willing to apply to your job, you'd be shocked at how different your family leadership would be. And then when it comes to education, none of us would say to a kid, 
um, hey, don't pay attention to math class. You know what? You're going to get enough math from watching your old man. Just, just watch me do it. You'll get it. And none of us would say to a kid, hey, you know what? Don't pay attention in history. If you need to know about something that happened, you'll get enough of it just from being around your parents. Don't worry about it. None of us would say that about science. None of us would say that about art or music. We'd all appreciate putting our kids through some kind of education system that's going to teach them. Well, when it comes to our uh, spiritual leadership in our home, most men are saying, hey, we're not going to, we don't need to really study the Bible together. You're not going to need to like, they don't need to see, they're going to get enough just from being around me. They're going to get enough. Just I'll take them to church and you know what, you know, one hour, once a month, that'll probably cover it. Listen, there's nothing more important for your kid than seeing their soul uh, captured by Jesus Christ, having faith in this God. And so why would we think that of all the subjects that we want them to learn, that that is the one that we get to go, you know what, don't worry about it. You'll probably get enough just by being around me. But rather giving it, like you said, David, the work that it takes to be the man to be is going to be rooted in intentionality. That means I have some sort of plan. That's the whole reason that uh, Chandler and I wrote that book for Crossway about family discipleship. It's not because there's not great resources out there. It's that there wasn't anything to help you make a plan. Like when it comes to when I bet when you guys are married, if you were Christians, when you were uh, engaged, probably your church had some kind of premarital counseling or maybe you had a premarital mentor or somebody who's going to walk through some of the questions you should ask before you become a husband. But I bet if you guys, when you guys became parents, there wasn't some kind of intentional, oh, hey, you're going to be a parent for the first time. You should get a mentor. You should go through uh, pre-parental counseling. Uh, we should get you ready. Here's a, here's a way to write out a plan on how you're going to lead yourself spiritually. Or when you guys have a mastermind and accountability, I bet it's very rare that anybody is asking like, hey, how's it going spiritually leading your home? It's not a question that we typically ask. And yet it's one of the most important jobs the Lord has given us. So why aren't we putting more intentionality, more creativity, and fostering a plan? You guys know if you don't have, if, if you fail to plan, then you're planning to fail. And so the whole reason we wrote, the whole reason I've dedicated so much of my life to this is just that men are not given the tools they need to plan, nor are they given the expectation to show up. Because the expectations are so low for men in our culture, just uh, just not divorcing your wife is considered like an incredible gift. Just um, uh, making enough money to put food on the table is considered parental support. I remember talking to some girls in my um, my high school class when I was a public school teacher, and they asked, uh, there was two girls having this conversation. One of them said, hey, how many men do you think you can have kids with before it gets weird? And she said, oh, I think it's probably four because if you have kids with five different baby daddies, I think that starts to get a little bit weird. And I asked these girls, I said, wouldn't you rather have kids with one man and have him like be a husband to you and raise those kids with you? And they, David and Stu, I kid you not, they laughed at me and they said, Mr. Griffin, that does not happen. That is uh, not, an, a, that that just will not happen. That's crazy. That was their expectation was like, no, don't. They, they said the best we could hope for is that a man will uh, give us child support. That was their expectation going to life. Now, this is an inner city group of girls who maybe have a different expectation than the suburban world you're growing up in, but it is not an uncommon expectation, nor is it can it be falsified by any um, research. I mean, you look around and there are tons of families where men are not around, where babies, uh, where kids are growing up with siblings from different dads, and that's just the expectation. That's just, that's the standard. We, when you read the Bible, that's not what we read. It's not, hey, man, uh, women are for you know fun. Uh, your purpose should be found in how much you make and what kind of job you do. 
No, it's work it whatever you do as for the Lord, not for men. But your call is to be a father who's not exasperating your kids, but is training them up in the wisdom and discipleship of the Lord. To make disciples everywhere, that starts behind your front door. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 would call us to talk about God wherever we are. When we're getting up, when we walk along the way, when we're laying down, when we're on a trampoline like David talked about, that's the work we're called to. And so I, I really want that work mentality to shift from outside the home to inside the home. Yeah, on your on your uh, website, you say uh, we it's the critically important and most mostly ordinary work of leading our home. Yes, yeah. spot on, man. And and I think uh, you know David and I saw it. He alluded to it earlier. You know, as as being military officers, you know, um, serving our country and leading from the front, and um, and then transitioning into this entrepreneur business, uh, real estate world. We saw a lot of this in in men, you know, leaders, uh, entrepreneurs, businessmen, um, just get so wrapped up in in uh, being a provider, right? And yeah. and and we uh, we had we did a webinar on on uh, we talked about family roles and and uh, we talked about this in, inside of our men's mastermind group of like what's your role like and that's that was just mm-hmm. a question, right? Think about it for five minutes and come back with uh, your, your roles as a man in your family or in your business or whatever, and, and define that, you know, the number one uh, answer provider, provider, provider. Yeah. Um, And, and so that's where like, we think our role should be is, is, is working, providing uh, money for our family, providing a roof uh, over, over us. But, but you're right, man. Like that's not the most important thing. And and David and I had just you know a, a, a large epiphany, um, and and which was the main reason why we started doing doing this other work um, was we were seeing men uh, not have relationships with their kids, yeah. saying they were doing it for the family, but they were in front of their computer all day, all night, right, and not spending any time, not throwing the football, being in front of their phone on social media. Yeah. Uh, wives leaving them or about to leave them. Um, and it, it was just like, it was awful to see. And and we, we could see ourselves going down that same, same road. At least I could, if, if I didn't, you know, flip the switch and, and change some things in my life. Um, totally. because you know, I had this entrepreneur world I was going down. I had my military career. I was going down. I was combining them together and I was leaving no room for anything else. Uh, yeah. it was, a, it was a path to destruction. Um, and there's a lot of men that are going through that right now. Yeah, I believe it. But, you know, there's a, a a great parable that I heard a guy share once. I'll tell it really quick because I think it connects with what you're saying, where he tells a story about a man who went down to, to a lake and he saw a man fishing and he saw this guy and he pulled this huge fish out of the lake. And he's like, man, that fish is awesome. That's incredible. And he said, the guy put the fish in the cooler and packed up and started heading out. And he's like, you're just going to catch that one fish? And he said, oh yeah, I come down here every morning. I catch a fish that feeds my family. And then I go home and you know, we cook that fish up and we spend the day together. And the guy said, you know, if you know, you know, this lake that well, you can pull fish out easy. He's like, oh yeah, I can do it in a couple minutes. He said, we could open a little like entrepreneur. He's like, we could open a little shop. You pull these fish out. We'll start selling those fish. We'll make a killing. And the fisherman said like, why would I do that? And he said, well, you could make all this money. And then one day you could, uh, you know, retire and you could be all set. And he said, well, retirement for me would look like doing exactly what I'm doing right now. I'd walk down <laughs> there, I'd catch one fish and I'd go and support my family with it. I, I have the dream right now. We so often chase this dream of like, well, if I could provide enough, then one day I'll get to spend time with my family. And in order to provide for them, we forsake them. 
in order to give them enough, we give them up. And so providing, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm all for it. But often the provider mentality, the provider role is a way of justifying being away from my family and not feeling that bad mm. about it. Yeah. And it's saying like, I'm giving yeah, yeah. them something when what your family really needs is you. Dude, it's funny because Stu and I, actually we were on the, there's a very similar version of that called the Mexican fisherman. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's a, a, it's in Mexico, a Mexican dude fishes, catch some fish, goes, hangs out with his family, does the things he wants to do. And, and, uh, you yeah. know, businessman comes down, same conversation. He's like, why would I do that? I'm already doing it. And, uh, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's a, and we actually, we were on a lift the other day and told a couple guys about the Mexican fishermen. And they're like, Oh, I've never heard that. I want to go read it. I'm like, yeah, you should, because it's, it just changes your mindset. But, you know, provider, one of the things that we're big on is, is we say things like comfort, success, you know, freedom. And one of the things Stu and I are, are huge on is awesome. Love it. Those words are beautiful. Sounds great coming out of your mouth. Uh, define them for me. Define mm. what that means and how does it apply to your life? And most, I have not had a conversation yet with a man. And these are mostly with men, even, you know, just talking to, to buddies. I've not had a conversation yet where the dude has been like, yeah, freedom in me is bam, 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 bam. Success is this, you know, never, not one time. Yeah. And, I, and I have asked this question uh, dozens, maybe hundreds of times. Mm. And so provider, what I love about it is we challenge that. I love the fact that you're a provider. Do you provide emotional security for your wife? Mm. Do you provide, um, you know, an, an example for your children? Are you providing those things? Have you defined provider? And so I think we can use that because I think that's all, that is our calling is to be a provider. Right. And, and, and there are elements of that, but the most important elements of that when you define it are how do I provide the things that are most important, the discipleship, the mentoring, the guidance, the presence, I'm providing you time. So all these things that we should be providing, we just lose it. And I think, you know, you, you hit it so awesomely, but culture has so much, like I've gone completely the other way. Like, like if someone criticizes, you know, what we're doing is toxic masculinity. I'm like, hey, amen. If, if you see it toxic to be different, then amen. Because our goal is to be different and there's so many forces pushing us. And so I just love how you bring awareness to that, right? Because I think if we have awareness and we're having these conversations, it changes. It's not a, it's not a huge leap to realize we need to provide or we need to do whatever in all these other ways as well. And it's just that conversation. So I'm, I, I love the fact that you're doing it. And how do we, how do we do it more? How can Stu and David do this more yeah. to make a bigger impact and, and just to bring awareness to this, this issue? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things uh, that come to mind for me right away. And you guys are doing this. You're, you provide uh, male friendships is a huge lack in our culture. And it's part of the reason that it's so hard to be a guy right now is that it's a very isolating world of success and provision. And it's kind of the classic joke that your wife is in the way, that she is the problem, and that if you could just get out and see your buddies, you'd be all right. But most guys don't even have buddies. They're just like living this lonely life of difficulty and video games. And and they think they have buddies because they play fantasy football together or they play video games together. But at the end of the day, they're not having any real conversations about anything. So fostering real conversations around a drink, around a cigar, around whatever it is that you're getting around, fostering real like accountability, mentoring conversations with male community 
would be a huge deal. Like having some kind of adult fraternity would be a huge blessing to most men. And so I do think that's part of it. Part of it is just recognizing if you just put the littlest effort in, it would make a big difference. It, none of us would uh, you know, miss a deadline with our boss, but all of us would forsake our kids to do something we want to do. And if we realize like hey, if we, our priorities are, are misaligned, that we are uh, never going to miss it with the guy who doesn't matter as much, but we are missing it all the time with the ones who matter a lot and change our mindset a little bit. That would make a, a big difference is uh, men, I think, are equipped with more creativity than they recognize. And then I, I love what you're saying, David, too, about recognizing that not everything the culture telling us uh, about being a man is healthy. Uh, there is uh, a healthy version of masculinity that is good. Uh, you reminded me of something earlier. You're talking about your your kids fighting or being picked on. One of the things we tell our boys all the time is that um, we should not push or punch unless it is to protect. Uh, we only push or punch to protect. So we don't say we never push or punch. No, a man, a man does push or punch if it's to protect somebody. If we push him out of the way of a car or if we're protecting something, we need to get between a villain uh, and their victim. Like, okay, then we're going to, we're going to push or punch. And if somebody is hurting you or coming at you and you need to protect yourself, then we're going to push or punch. We don't tell them, uh, Hey, you know what? We're just going to be, um, we do want gentleness in our kids, but we don't want passivity. We don't doormats for children. And so I think helping kids understand, uh, and boys and men in general, the Lord gave you strength for a reason. And what is that strength for? It's for the weak. It's not so that you feel good about yourself. It's not to beat somebody else up to make yourself feel better, but it is to provide for the weak. Uh, God gave you wisdom. Why? For those who lack it, for those who are foolish. And, and so to lean into that. And then I think uh, outside of the kind of peer relationships, also having mentoring and discipling relationships are going to be the hugest help is to find somebody that you admire. And sometimes we talk about mentoring. We think what we mean is an older best friend who listens to your problems and tells you what to do. That's a counselor. And that can be helpful too. But uh, mentorship can often just look like if there's a man you admire, ask him if you can buy him lunch, ask him what life looks like for him, ask him what it looked like when he was your age, ask him what the difference is between those two things and what he learned, what we need to learn along the way. And just say like, can I buy you coffee sometime? Can I buy you breakfast? Not hey, can I have uh, lunch with you every Monday for the rest of my life? That might not be an expectation that these men can meet. But just saying like, who who in your life could you invite into a relationship where you can say, hey, what, I, I would love to learn from you. Can I buy you lunch? I think that would go a long way. Yeah, that's rad, man. Yeah, and I, I love what you said about boys. I think we really need to refine. And and also, hey, uh, for those of you with daughters, I have a daughter, Stu has a daughter. The The conversation you said you had with those young women, we are also responsible for that. Yeah, if we're yeah. raising boys to be men, and one of the things that we love to say is, hey, are you being the man that you want your boys to become and you want your daughters to marry? Because it's mm. the it influence, it spreads equally, right? It's, it, it manifests differently, but it spreads and the way that we're living is really um, is really driving that. But but I, one thing that my son recalled, and I forgot, and I, I was thankful he remembered, but at jiu-jitsu, Stu did jiu-jitsu for the first time with Wells last night. My my son's old teacher, he say it's the three T's. You talk, someone touches you, talk. Hey, dude, don't touch me. You tell a teacher, you tell an adult, hey, this is happening. And then the third T is you tackle. And I love, I was, I, and Jake remembered it. And he's like, and I'm like, hey, buddy, you respected Coach Bowie. Like, this is, this is real. Like, you, you talk to him. If he doesn't respond, then you go tell. And if it doesn't work, then 
hey man, you got to handle your bit. You got to take care of yourself. You got to defend yourself. And I think that is okay. Not that I think it's okay. I know it's okay, like you said, and I encourage it. And I told him, you will never get in trouble if you do those three things in that order. You will yeah. never get in trouble with daddy. With daddy, you you might get in trouble at school. I don't care sure. about that. You never, you will never get in trouble with daddy. Yeah, that's and good. and I think we need to give those messages, right? We need to empower our kids because I want we're military guys. I yeah. want my boys and my girl to be people who defend others. Amen. Who have a heart of service, and sometimes that service looks a little bit different than what culture tells us. Totally. Uh, not to give too many Theodore Roosevelt examples in one podcast, but uh, you know Theodore Roosevelt was a Sunday school teacher for a little while, and they fired him because he gave a kid a dollar for punching a bully. And they're like, Hey, we can't have you encouraging <laughs> violence. Awesome. Uh, but he paid the kid and said, great job. I'm really proud of you. And uh, even at that time, the culture was a little like, Hey, we can't be paying kids to hit each other. <laughs> uh, but he was such a, uh, a quintessential example, I think, to men in this generation of a guy who, uh, if you ever read, he there's a book of letters to his children, which are exactly what you're talking about, David. And he talks about how academics is important and sports is important, but above all is character. Uh, and character is above all so important, but he does say, you know, his, at the time football was a brand new sport and a lot of kids had died playing it actually. Uh, but he tells his, his kids, like, if you are going to hit in football, you hit as hard as you can. Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't pull punches. That's, that's the whole point of that, of that sport is you're going to hit as hard as you can. And, uh, obviously I've, I've, I've shared way too much and know way too much about Theodore Roosevelt, but I do think that's helpful for the conversation we're having both as a dad and as a man. Hey, real fast. I know we have a few minutes left, but uh, let's talk about your book real fast. Uh, Family Discipleship. Um, give us just some uh, quick tidbits of, of of knowledge on on rhythm of discipleship, time moments, yeah. milestones. Uh, what can what can uh, people take out of your book? Great. So the book we wrote, uh, like I mentioned earlier, is kind of written in the sense of like if you're a parent, either brand new to it or been doing it for a while, and you want to have a plan for what does it look like to spiritually lead my home, or to get on the same page with your spouse about what that might look like. It's a book both written to invite you into why that is, like you said before, critically important, but mostly ordinary in the sense of like, this is this is essential. This is the work you're called to. And at the same time, it's not some uh, expect to be floating through the room and your kid's begging for knowledge for you. No, it's mostly done in like the normal everyday things we do. It's critically important, but mostly it's just ordinary. It should be, it is so normal for me to pray with my kids, so normal for us to read the Bible and their responses to it are normal kid responses. It's mostly ordinary, but what we do is create a four part framework for any family, no matter what your family looks like, no matter the age difference or disabilities or uh, ethnic backgrounds or mixed family, whatever it is, blended family. Uh, And so that four part framework is modeling time moments and milestones. Modeling is your own spiritual life. And so we address what it looks like for you. And if you're married for you and your spouse to have your own spiritual life. And then we talk through time, which is what are the kind of the appointed times in the week? When is it going to be set up that like, this is when our family is going to read the Bible together. Is it after dinner? Is it, uh, we go to church together on Sundays. Is it in my family? It's bedtime before our kids go to bed. We read the Bible, we pray and we sing. And that's true. Whether or not they have a babysitter there or whether we have people over the house, we stop down, we read, we pray, we sing. And then we talk about moments. Moments are kind of the everyday kind of capturing what happens through the everyday when you don't expect it. You're driving in the car or when your kids tells you he's getting bullied or you're disciplining your child for something. It's how do you flex those gospel muscles and share with your kid what's true about them, what's true about God in those times. And we in that chapter talk a lot about having a language as a family. The example I just gave of, hey, Griffins don't push or punch unless it's to protect 
that's a that's a captured moment for us and we use it on a regular basis because i have all boys so if somebody gets pushed we say hey were you trying to protect and they say no and i say what do, what do you know griffin's doing they say well we only push or punch if it's time to protect that's a way of capturing a moment for us and expressing that something something is true and the last one is milestones you know the book you brought up earlier the intentional father by john tyson is really about fostering milestones for your kid is how do you set up both a path but also kind of like a big uh, experience or heirloom or something that communicates to their kid. Either this is how we're going to remember the hardest time in your life or the best time in your life. And this is how God has been present in those. And so the book is built out to help you create a plan of how are we going to do this on a regular basis? How are we going to capture it as we go through life with these kids? What are the big kind of milestone events that we want to create for our family, whether it's around trips and travel or whether it's around uh, ages and experiences or holidays and how do we, in all that, see that, that that's the way the Lord created our family to operate? So that's the framework we give. It's not a very long book. It should be very accessible for anybody. And there's a lot of like uh, just kind of charts and ways to, to plan out your family discipleship. And then there are tons of great resources out there, tons of great people who speak on this way more eloquently than I do. And so that stuff is out there. But the, that is the idea behind the book. It's just to set you up to get started wherever you're at. That's good. That's man. awesome. And I, I, uh, I also want to emphasize, you know, we, we, Stu and I are men of God, love Jesus. And, and it, that, that flavors everything we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oftentimes we'll point out scriptures that we're reading or, or how they apply to our lives. But, but I will also say that these principles, whether the spiritual side of it appeals to you or not, um, the principles are strong and they're sound and they can, for anybody, Right. They can make your household better, and and so I would just encourage if if you're if you're not a believer and 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 this you kind of turn the off switch to a book like this because it's you know over spiritualized or whatever you don't it doesn't resonate. I, I assure you that there's things in this book that will absolutely bless or however you want to call it your family, and they're applicable to making you a better father because that is not necessarily a spiritual thing. I want to be a better man for my wife. I want to be a better man for my kids. That's what I want for my life. And this is another great resource to enable you and give you spe- specific action items that you can take that will enable that journey and that process and will bless your household, whether you call it a blessing or not. And so I think that that is uh, hugely impactful. And 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 I just want to make sure that that we don't that we don't close our mind to things that could be extremely beneficial for for our kids growth, for their future and for our generational impact. Adam, this is good, man. We really appreciate this conversation. It's been fun. Um, where do uh, where do people get more information on you? How do they find out about uh, you know what you're doing and get your book and listen to your podcast? Where do we send people? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for asking, Stu. I think there's a any place you buy books, you can pick up the Family Discipleship. It's uh, from Crossway. It was written by Matt Chandler and myself, Adam Griffin. Uh, if you want to have more resourcing and more conversations about this, we do a weekly podcast called the Family Discipleship Podcast. We've had some incredible guests on there, really fantastic conversations. It's a great place to get resourced. And then uh, those are kind of the places to find me. I'm, I mean, I'm a pastor of a local church. I'm leading my family just like you guys are. I am not inaccessible to people in Dallas. So if you live here and you want to get together and talk about your family, man, feel free to reach out. But uh, those are the best places to find me, the Family Discipleship Podcast, or check out the book anywhere you buy books. Awesome, man. Um, well, David, you got anything else before we uh, sign off? Uh, yeah, just last thing, Adam, and and I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. This is critical 
life or death work. Uh, this is, you know, to me, this is the most important thing. And I love how you, you framed it earlier, you know, what you are, you know, husband, father, pastor. And and for me, you know, God, God is the most important and, and he is first, but after that, man, it is like, it is family, 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 and it's to make an impact. And it's to really drive towards them being the best that they can possibly be by being the best that I can be and trying to model that failing often, but Mm -hmm. trying my best to model that. And I will say your work, despite your single talent, which is a complete, uh, is a complete lie (laughs) is so critical. And I absolutely love just the blessing that you're bringing into other people's lives by the fact that you over, you know, overcame whatever self-doubt that you had to write, to speak, to preach, to do the things you're doing, to take action. And, and I just want to encourage you, man. It is so life-giving. You have me fired up. You hit, my mind is going crazy on the things that I can do to be better for my kids. You know, the just your nighttime routine has me like it's convicting me. It's it's causing me to 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 want to make some serious changes in my life. So, dude, keep it up, man. You are absolutely a huge blessing. And and uh I think, you know, much like we, we were talking about this the other day, but I, I am very confident that when your time comes, you will hear job well done, my good and faithful servant. Mm. And and it's going to be awesome. And it's going to be a party. So keep it Thanks, up, dude. David, man. That's so kind. Thank you, Stu. Yeah, man. Guys and gals, hey, reach out to Adam. Um, go listen to uh, his podcast, Family Discipleship. Go read his book. Um, just amazing, amazing stuff here. Men, hey, take this serious. Let's go be the best fathers, best husbands, uh, best disciples that we can possibly be. Um, Amen. And uh, we'll put all his links in the show notes, share this episode. Uh, Most important, let's go all fill the storehouse. Thank you, Adam. Make it a great day, friends. See you. Adam Griffin, the man. That was an amazing podcast and and really has me asking one question. How are you providing and what are you providing? If we're going to embrace this role as as the provider of our family, what are we providing in all the ways that we're called to provide? Not only financially, not only through work, but are we providing emotionally? Are we providing with time? Are we providing, uh, you know, a, an example, a model of joy and and just being the men that we want to be? Awesome podcast, dude. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Blown away by, by that conversation. And it leaves me uh, incredibly motivated um, just to even be more intentional about uh, being the best husband, best father that I could possibly be. You know, we spoke about uh, on the podcast about this exercise that we did within uh, the mastermind group, the storehouse mastermind, and we did on a webinar about just kind of identifying the roles that you play in your family and defining those roles and then um, getting deep and and putting stuff on the calendar. Um, You can go through that exercise. We're offering that for free, that PDF. You can go to storehouse310.com backslash roles. And uh, you can you get that PDF for free, go through that exercise. Again, we talk about it on a webinar, but if you want to get even more intentional and, and do this uh, with a group of men uh, that are uh, intentional, that are seeking to be the best husbands and dads that they possibly can be, to be the hero of the journey, um, join us. Like We want amazing men to come through this journey with us together. Go to storehouse310.com slash mastermind. There's a big join now button on it and fill out that application and and come grow with us. Uh, Be different, be better, do it. Take action, man. Be intentional. Get it. Get it.